Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com, the ultimate destination for FC Dallas North Texas Soccer Club. European gear. They got all the new arrivals, man. The league is right around the season. Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga. Pretty much everything you can want from Europe, they got it. All the domestic stuff, too. Listeners of Third Degree, the podcast, get 20% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode 223, 223 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it is me, Peter. And I'm on the interwebs with my two friends that I love to talk all things Football Club Dallas with. First off, the bearded one, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Howdy. I'm glad to hear you survived the uh, the circus. It was a fantastic night. We can talk all about that. I really enjoyed pretty much, well, not every aspect, but a whole bunch of it. It was uh, one for the one for the memory banks for sure. And somewhere out in the wilderness. With a coat hanger and a homemade uh, satellite dish, yeah, and a mouse on a wheel, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net, and the original Buzz Carrick, come in, Buzz. Yeah, Peter, you don't realize how um, necessary it is to do a lot of this stuff until you're a place where you have neither internet nor cell phone nor nothing for a couple of days and you really <laughs> feel totally disconnected from the world and particularly from the soccer world where you're like oh my god what happened what's going on well we always joke every year when you go on your annual walkabout uh whether it's by yourself or with your wife or whatever it is and inevitably big things happen to fc dallas yeah and this may be the most uh, the, the most <laughs> quantifiable measurement of that ever in, in all these years yeah. because there have been uh, trades, there have been purchases, and then we got the most epic event in this club's history Sunday night. Messi came to Frisco. Yeah, it was an impressive moment. Uh, I can't remember the last time I, I uh, a specific player from the opposition, every time they touched the ball, got a both a chorus of boos and a chorus of cheers uh, just for <laughs> touching the ball. It was remarkable how many people were there and so dialed into just him and wanting to see just him, you know, either way, really in a lot of ways. And it really was a, uh, I can only imagine being there. I mean, it was a, it wasn't a transcendent moment watching it on uh, the Apple TV. Let, you know, I'm sure being there as both you guys were, was even more surreal in some ways and, and fascinating and awesome. I've talked about this to death on the radio and on television and on podcasts, so I'm really interested to hear somebody else's perspective. So, Dan, would you mind sharing your point of view of being in attendance on Saturday night? Uh, so the the event rather than the game, right? Yeah. Well, whatever. Whatever your big takeaways from it are. It was interesting. Um, I think, you know, we've seen this whole League's Cup has been uh, – FC Dallas's front office seemingly fighting against League's Cup, uh, the organizers on everything, and boy, did they have their work cut out. Um, you know, for, we saw the whole thing about, oh, we've got uh, $8,000 tables in the Windstar Winners Club that don't have a view of the field, which we later find out is so there can be an overflow press box in the bottom there. Um, you know, it seemed like that the the guys who were down there had a good view of the field. I wouldn't really like to be separated from a curtain by 
uh, from people who are probably, you know, talking and, and cheering, but that's kind of what it is. I think they had like 60 media in the end, and I heard someone say something like 200 applications. Um, Do they get 200 applications for media in an entire season? No, of course not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, no, it was a crazy event. I mean, uh, you know, the, just coming into the stadium was insane. Um, I thought, you know, I'm going to leave a half hour early. I got to the, I parked up about 10 minutes later than I usually do. Um, coming round the front by the Hall of Fame, there were vendors selling hot dogs and beers and and there were messy jerseys galore being sold on the streets. I mean, I personally got held up for a few minutes because someone uh, decided they were going to stop their car every five feet to unload ice to all the different vendors, which was bloody annoying. Um, hmm. But you know, it's crazy. There was uh, some guy got arrested earlier in the day as as the Ar- as Argentina as the uh, Miami team arrived, tried to rush the uh, rush the coach to to meet Messi, I guess, or have some interaction with him, but. Uh, Cops got there first. Uh, just, yeah, the, the whole thing was nuts, even down to uh, the way that we normally cut through the suites to get to the where they do the interviews. Uh, the Yeah, the interview room would be the one. Uh, I didn't realize this. I walked down the stairs immediately after David Beckham and his family. So John Arnold posted a video, and you can see him coming down, and he gets mobbed, and then you just suddenly see my legs appear and stop. Um, and I'm just standing there like I have to get through this crowd I'm going to the same place he's going to there are literally thousands of people in the way how Um, you should have done the ambulance thing you just get really close behind and you just let them clear the way for you (laughs) it wasn't that it was like trying to walk and you've got all these idiots like rushing over trying to you know, like getting elbowed around so people could try and get their photo with the back of Beckham's head from 15 feet away and, and all that. It was, it was manic. Uh, even uh, the the mixed zone was actually the Heineken Red Star Club. They decided, we were joking about um, after the Nakaxa game, like, oh, I wonder how you'll do a mixed zone with, with all that attention. And I think I just joked, I was like, oh, really? The, the play would be the bar clears out at the 75th minute anyway, just close it and convert it. And that happened to be what they did, in, like independently of that thought. So, you know, the TV cameras were, were there for this incredibly small mix zone in this massive area. There were people banging on the windows, trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, media and fans alike were waiting around to see Messi, I think. Most of us by now know that Messi's contract states that he doesn't do media. So, you know, that was a bit uh, of wasted time for a lot of people. But because of that, Velasco gets all this extra attention because he's got Messi's jersey. He keeps pulling it out of his uh, wash bag to show each different TV station (laughs) that's doing a a piece on it. I I have to say that if if Messi thought he was going to come here, and get some of that anonymous lifestyle where he could live like a normal life. I, I don't think that's happening. It, it It's insane the kind of reaction people are having to like, him. This thing, like, you know, we obviously do a lot of Mexico games for, uh, and US games for Gold Cup and, and stuff. This was 
this was a whole nother level and it was only yeah. 19,000 people in the stadium. Yeah. You know, this is my, one of the, uh, most clear, uh, one of the craziest parts about the evening, I think all of us uh, and people listening to this pod have all been to Toyota stadium when it's quote unquote, technically sold out, but there were, but there was something very, very different about Sunday night. And Dan, I don't know if you observed this same thing. There was just a weird, very different vibe to the entire evening from from the silly lines that had formed outside the stadium. Buzz, I don't even know if you know this story, but oh my Miami was late arriving to the stadium. And so yeah. they instructed, are you aware of this? Yeah, the, the, the league told them to wait till all the Miami players had gotten there. Yeah. Right, so they closed the gates. Well, that, in, that created these, I mean, the longest lines I have ever seen outside of Toyota Stadium, Buzz, I was unbelievable because I had actually arrived on the wait side. I I arrived on the west side to sit park in a red lot, and I was walking all the way to the east side to go see some friends of mine that were having a tailgate party. And so I saw uh, pretty much all of the entry points other than the north one along the way, and it was the longest lines I've ever seen in my life, and I didn't understand why at that moment. And uh, I come to learn that uh, Bob Sturm from The Ticket was stuck in a line for an hour and a half at wow. one point and was a, and literally did not get into the stadium until I think he said 8.18, and he arrived at 7 o'clock. Wow. Uh, or, right, yeah, so a little less than an hour and a half, and he was afraid he was going to miss kickoff. But here's the weird part. So when I walked by the north side to go around to the east side, massive lines going in both directions, you know, coming from the east, coming from the west, longest lines I've ever seen. I went over and hung out with my friends for 30 minutes, came back, and I literally walked right into the north stand while Bob is still on the south side of the stadium, still standing in line. And I don't understand what the difference was between the two entry wow. points. It was really There's weird. Very easy difference. What is it? No, there's nothing on the north side anymore. What do you mean? No seats. No, yeah, no seats. Oh, people don't. Well, what, man, the lines were so long. The supporters groups like sent out messages like, "Hey, if you're in line, doesn't matter if there's even like five people in front of you. Get out of the line. Go to the north side. It's just a straight walk in." Wow, crazy. Well, anyway, uh, it was a weird scene, Buzz. And the other observation I had was. As I said, we've all been there when it's technically sold out. Yeah. But this is the first time since that building was constructed in whatever it was, 2005 or whatever, that it, it literally, there was a butt in every seat. It was a butt in seats out. It wasn't a, we sold all these tickets and maybe some people didn't show up kind of sell out. It was every seat had a butt in it. And I don't think I've ever seen that in Toyota Stadium before. Well, the mission, I mean, that's exciting. The mission now has to be for MLS and uh, FC Dallas, but more MLS more specifically is to translate these Messi fans and MLS fans because we, the, the previous game before that, we saw 6,000 people there. Right? Yeah. So it's like, yes, it's an incredible moment, but man, you've got to capitalize on this. You can't let it slip through your fingers. Yeah. I, I, you know, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I, historically I think Dallas, not just uh, FC Dallas fans, but I think Dallas fans in general get uh, a label, probably deservedly so, that they're not very engaged in a game. Um, they tend to arrive late. Uh, they don't, in, in, in the case of soccer, they don't uh, collectively as a stadium get involved in cheering and singing. Uh, and it's usually singularly the supporters groups that do it. 
Well, I was sitting in your seat, Buzz, in 103. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, I was unduly impressed by the number of times and consistency through the game that your section can, were, were getting into FC Dallas chance. No, Just that's nice. Yeah. The entire section, the area I was sitting and everybody was doing it. And yes, there was a significant percentage of Miami Messi jerseys, but none of those people were Miami fans. They're Messi fans. Yeah. And my, and I would, and I, Dan, I don't know if you got this vibe up in the, in the press box or not, but I'm telling you, I was convinced by the end of the game what the vast, vast majority of people in that building wanted as a result was they wanted to see Messi do messy magic and do messy things, but they really wanted Dallas to win that game. And when Dallas didn't win the game, there was a, pal a palpable sense of disappointment in the stadium that I thought was really interesting and a big takeaway for me. Yeah, it was it was a weird atmosphere. I, I thought it was very standoffish because you had the 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 messy simps that were like being all. There was a guy in the press box who like put his hand on the window and took a photo as if he was trying to reach out and touch Messi. It was very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, you, you know, you had that, and then that kind of emboldens the the, the FC Dallas fan, whether they cheer every week or not to then be more you know present in the moment even in the press box there was uh there was it, it was kind of cheering there were you know Messi scores that offside goal and there's a cheer goes up Dallas scores as a cheer goes up and it's like this is a press box this is normally a quiet working environment but it's like there's this whole like these people are outsiders. What are they doing in our house? Um, it was it was cool. It was very much like uh, you know when when you're at a, a stadium in Europe and there's a massive away following and and it's like you know away days are always so much more fun. So you're always so much more boisterous. And but as a home fan, it's like it's your territory. It's you defend this. It was. It was almost, yeah, it was almost European in, in some aspects. It, it really was. It was fascinating. When Dallas scored that goal very early in the game that got called for offside, and by the way, I still have never seen a replay of that uh, sequence to tell me who was offside or why it was disallowed because I was sitting right by that goal and it, nobody looked offside to me when it happened in real time. But everybody in the section, both in Dallas or Miami jerseys, went bonkers like everybody was celebrating the only one that wasn't celebrating was the annoying little dude behind me that clearly was just purely a messy fan so he had decided he was going to cheer for miami and that was the only one in the section i was with and i, I just I, I uh i i and that continued through the game and as dallas took the lead and looked like they were going to win the game the vibe was really quite magical and i was really proud of the fact that it wasn't a miami dominated audience like i think a lot of us were really worried it was going to be there was genuinely a love for this club in the building um and i i was really i was really pleased by that i think it's definitely an element of people that's shooting their shot right trying to see the arguably the greatest player to ever put on a pair of boots and you know as dallas residents still got into that kind of i'm supporting my hometown team despite wearing pink um but no it was it was cool uh, i really really hope that fc dallas has a, has a plan and figures out a way to convert those people as as fans because that's that's what you want 
You know, Buzz, uh, to my right were three gentlemen who I think are regulars that sit next to you in that seat. Um, I don't know their names, but they were really nice, and they were really into Dallas's performance, and they clearly knew the game and knew the players, and it was fun to sit next to those guys. To my left was a father and son duo, both wearing messy Barcelona jerseys, <laughs> who who apparently live 10 minutes away from the stadium, but have never been to a game at Toyota Stadium before, claim to be big-time soccer fans, Um and the father spent the majority of the game telling me how impressed he was by how good Dallas was playing and how smart they played, well, which terrific. was weird. Yeah, I mean that's terrific to hear when you hear people that have come for some reason and, and not and stuck around. Uh, the version of that for me with, in this game in particular was while the game was happening, my brother is texting me and he's in Florida working. He, he lives here, but he was in Florida working, and his. Son plays for FC Dallas youth somewhere. I don't. I don't know which team, and had come up with, uh, you know, four tickets. And so, um, my brother's wife, sister, my sister-in-law, and their kids were at the game just without my brother. And but you know, his his family grew up. You know, my brother grew up playing football. He wasn't a soccer player at all. You know, all of his family, in a sense, are converted soccer players because his one son plays. And then my friend of mine, who is a lifelong baseball hardcore old school baseball fan because of me has become interested in soccer and started watching cheering for Fulham. He's watching this game on a stream. And so all these people I know that five, 10, 15 years ago in college, whatever, most of their lives knew nothing about soccer, knew nothing about anything. And none of them are hardcore connected to FC Dallas anyway. And yet because of myself or because of Messi or because of FC Dallas, they all, they're all watching this game or at this game. And it's no, it's people that, that, 25 years ago, didn't even know what soccer was hardly, you know, or weren't even alive <laughs> in the case of my brother's kids. So it really was a, like, even though I couldn't watch it because I was sitting in a, a, a national park where I had no, um, you know, internet beyond the ability to do a text. I still felt like it was a surreal moment because all these people in my life were watching this game, you know, and it was just, it was really weird. Uh, and I, I'm hoping it's a watershed moment that like, We'll be able to talk about, you know, not this game specifically, but Messi's arrival, just like we talk about Beckham, you know, before Beckham and after Beckham. I'm hoping that there's going to be a before Messi and after Messi, and they don't blow it with this thing because it really was a transcendent moment. Yeah, the local media was all over it. Channel 8 uh, did part of their broadcast Sunday night from the stadium. Um, and my favorite story that I've told multiple times is there was a father and son sitting in front of me. The, the son was like 15. His name was Jacob. I think he plays for Dallas at some level. And just watching him enjoy the game and go through all the emotions of the game, it really hit me hard as we got to the end of it that this was a moment and this was an evening that that kid is going to talk about and remember and tell his family about for the rest of his life. And it was that kind of night. And I just thought that was the most rad thing ever. I just thought that was the best. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I, I will, I'll equate it to growing up in Arlington. I remember uh, when Nolan, when Robert Ventura charged Nolan at the mound, I remember Nolan's 5,000, uh, 3,000th strikeout, his 500th win. I think those are the correct numbers on that. I'm not a baseball guy, but I still remember them. I, just, I remember his seventh no hitter. Like these transcendent things happen when you had a guy like Nolan Ryan playing for the Rangers that rarely ever happened in that franchise's history because he was such a transcendent player. 
and this is like that. You know, if if you were into baseball, he was perhaps like that. The way we feel about Messi here, and the fact that there's never really been anybody remotely in this kind of Beckham Messi stratosphere that has anything to do with Dallas, and even for them to pick up the side flavor, if you will, of this being Messi's first game, road game, you know, and, and almost first loss in the league was was just really something special, you know. It, yeah. I think I think even those of us that weren't that kid are going to look back at this as a moment we're going to be like, I remember that moment, you know, it meant something. Yeah. It was a huge night. It was really special. I'm so glad and thankful that I got to be there. So thanks, Buzz. Uh, I'm only I I was there large in part because uh, you were kind enough to uh, sell me your unused ticket. And uh, and since I was able to use your link to buy more tickets, you will be receiving a Venmo <laughs> payment from me in short order nice. like for the part. profits from the sale of that ticket. <laughs> yeah. I tickets. really enjoyed the thousand ass story on the kick around, by the way. Uh, oh, did you? <laughs> it was. Uh, it was uh, look. I never that those things never work out in my favor ever. That's why I don't go to Vegas to gamble. It's why I very rarely <laughs> buy things thinking I can resell them. But boy, it worked out in spades for uh, for Buzz and I uh, on that particular time. All right, let's get to the game itself. We all know how it ended up four four. Uh, Buzz, you said it right in your instant reaction video that Dallas should have won this game and they should have they should have yeah. cleaned this game up. 20, 25 minutes uh, before the end of the game and just failed to do so. There's lots of reasons for it. And mm -hmm. I, it also, uh, Buzz, in my thinking as I was driving home, uh, my biggest frustration or concern is that this is, a, this is a continuing trend with this team where it finds itself in winning positions. And, and my belief is because the bench is just so shallow on this team, really begin to struggle in the last 20, 15, 10 minutes to hold on to leads. And they lost it against Charlotte. They probably should have lost it against Matsalan. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and they uh, certainly did it against Messi on Sunday night. Yeah, I couldn't help but wonder if uh, Coach wasn't lamenting not having a six to bring in um, late in the game, you know, to sort of shore up the midfield a little more than he than the pieces he had. Um, I didn't have a lot of problems with the sub sequences. I think they all made logical sense to me. I, I think you're on the ball that you didn't have the right pieces. You know, Siki and Sebeling and Paxton Pomichol, I understood what he was attempting to do. I, I don't buy probably that that's the right guys to be putting in that scenario. If you still had Edwin on your roster, Cerio, you put him in there next to Facundo and shore that up. You know, so that's not on the coach per se. A lot of that has to do with just the way the calendar works and what the TD is doing. But um, yeah, the, the, the bottom line with this club, and this has been true all year. And if you listen to this podcast, you'll hear, I've heard this us say this many times that this is a low volume shooting team. And when you're a low volume shooting team, when you get these chances, you have to convert them. Now you might say, or even my player might push back and say, I mean, you can't expect me to score every single time I get in a scoring position, but if you want to talk about raising your team to the next level and talk about winning a game over the greatest player of all time, when those moments come, you score them and you win or you don't and you lose. And that's what happened. Yep. Jesus could have had a hat trick. Bernie, whose goal was great, and I thought Bernie played great. Don't I'm not saying that. I'm saying he had a chance to get one, a second one, and he didn't. You know, Oberon had one where he got in, and then I can't remember what he blew, how he blew it, but there was one where he got in. You know, there was just multiple times where, and Jesus even had one where he didn't even get a shot off. And the one where he kind of shit the bed. Yeah. 
So areola. And that and areola, yeah. And that's my point, right? Is like, yes, look, you can't expect guys to score all the time. But you watch Messi on the other end, and you gave him two free kicks right outside the box. I think actually there were three. Right. And he put one on the wall and he scored the other two. Players that are special do special things when the opportunity arises. You cannot give them the opportunity because they will win the game. And that's the difference. You know, if, if Jesus wants to be the guy with the national team, if he wants to lead this team to MLS Cup and all that crap, if you want to win League's Cup, you got to score in those moments, and they didn't. They should have won that game, and they didn't. And, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what the, the, what's not happening that's preventing this team from taking the next step forward. If they can cross that level and start converting those chances at a higher proficiency, and believe me, Jesus is a great finisher. He has a great rate on goal, and he's a clinical finisher. We've seen that. But you got to take every opportunity that's a goal-scoring moment if you're going to beat somebody like Messi. Yeah, I want to I want to come back to Jesus because I've got uh, a couple of comments uh, about him specifically from the game that I want to get into. Uh, in your instant reaction, you gave the man of the match to Velasco, which I thought was a fair shout. I would have given it to Facundo Quinone, who I thought had probably the best game he's played for Dallas, at least that I have seen in person. Uh, in a really long time. Uh, he scored the goal to open the game. I thought he was all over the field, working his tail off trying to cover spaces. He Maybe I'm just completely biased because he finally was the first person in the United States to do what I've been waiting for somebody to do, which is get stuck in on Busquets at midfield um, and keep him from turning and spraying the ball uh, early in the game. And I I was the only person that got up and cheered when that happened in the section buzz, by the way. And everybody looked at me really oddly, like, why are you cheering that? <laughs> Not even that challenge. At 10 minutes in, he goes right through the back of Messi. You've been yep. talking about for the last few weeks. Everyone gives Messi far too much space. And yep. I mean, he slid in and him on the box. He was just on his back. They had to they had to pivot. They had to use Martinez a lot more than they weren't really wanted to because Faku was closing down Messi in, in a decent spot. I mean, they, they, him and Velasco were certainly 1A, 1B. Yeah, and and the only reason why I give it to uh, Facundo over Velasco is that he finished and played the 90 minutes, and uh, Velasco wore himself out. And um, yeah. and I think he got injured at the end of the game. He, You know, there was an incident between him and Busquets, and I'm told on the replay, it turns out Busquets missed him by a good foot, and, mm -hmm. and Velasco was faking it, so maybe he took himself off the field because he knew he'd been... Uh, he had made it up, but whatever. Um, and if that's the case, then it definitely doesn't deserve man of the match because he should have stayed on the field because he was having such a good game and probably would have helped them secure the uh, secure the win if he, had, if he had been able to stay on. Yeah, I went with Velasco because I thought he took a step forward. His box penetration came up and was really, really good. And his defensive efforts, you know, closing, limiting Biscuits' space, I thought was really, really good. Um I saw other people mention Facundo as well. I actually thought he was terrible. I, I know you guys like that he fouled people, but like the first Messi goal, he did the same thing he always did, which always does. Yes. Which is he over pursues. Yes. And he drops into the the box with the center backs, and then when the ball drops out, he's out of position. And he I agree. Down, right. I agree. Now, no, he I agree. Redeemed himself by immediately scoring the goal. That was good. But there were there were. I'm convinced that the thing that this coach wants most out of a six is what I'm going to call like a tidiness, an ability to clean it up and distribute. And I think you can look at Busquets as a good example of it, actually, who of course is a world-class player. So that's, a you know, not someone Dallas is going to get, but there were 
over the course of the first 60, 70 minutes of the game, there were multiple times when Facundo was getting uh, dispossessed. Um, it was just not clean enough, in my opinion, when, when you're asking for a guy who's playing a single six and staying at home mostly. You know, you want him to be able to quickly pick up the ball and move it. And Evelyn and he are both bad at this. And I think, honestly, that's why they've gone out and gotten this, the guy that they've gotten. Um, and, and I think that's why we're talking – why that's important again when we talk about the second player they went and got. But I, I actually – if you guys saw the chat, our chat today, when I was watching the game, I was actually saying that I thought Facundo was awful right until he scored. And I didn't think he got any better after that. Um mm. You know, yeah, I, 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 I completely I, disagree I with that. you on that. No, I, that's fair, and I say that in the sense that I thought he was tremendous over the last month and a half, but in this game, I thought he was a real liability and got dispossessed multiple oh, times, given Miami chances. Yeah, in person, he was all over the place, and he was also having to cover for a lot of other people. The the kind of back and forth of the game situation created a bit of a hectic uh, kind of a hectic state and and I just thought he did a good job trying to manage the game as best he could. He wasn't great. Nobody, frankly, was really great for Dallas. There was some, there were moments and periods of time where the team played really well and really smart, and then it was almost like they collectively turned the the light switch off. Um, I, I, you know, it probably, I, the other part of it was buzz is to me, is it the, the, uh, the inclusion of Messi and Busquets and probably Jordi Alba, to be fair, kind of raised the overall level of the game period. Like everybody, while nobody was great, everybody was playing better than they typically do. If that makes any sense, Dan, I don't yeah. know if you agree with that observation. Uh, of the starters. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't. Actually, yeah, sorry, we haven't no. got in. Yeah. Wait till we get into uh, Paxton and, and Areola. I got a. I got a lot going on there. Sorry, of the starters, except for Jesus. Jesus was absolutely awful. Um, yeah, I, I think the defense. Well, the center back pairing definitely stepped up. Yes. Ours was his usual self. Uh, Giovanni Jesus learned how to defend amazingly. That was. <laughs> yeah, he did. That was shocking. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what he was doing for the own goal. Overall performance aside, Nobody wasn't does. magical. Um, I think Legette was Legette was solid. Uh, Legette worked hard. Um, had a couple of opportunities that's, that's himself. Yeah, yeah. He worked hard. Yeah, he did. He worked. He worked really, really hard. Well, that's, uh, a, that's a good example. He was significantly better than Facundo at recovery and distribution. Out of that what was sort of not a double pivot, but maybe a 1.5 pivot that they were playing that fluid double eight look, you know? Hmm. Well, you buzz, you had the uh, benefit of watching it on TV without TV, the distraction yeah. of everything else that I, you know, that's going on uh, in the stadium. And so maybe there's a bunch of stuff that I missed, but it was, I didn't think it, I, I just thought it was interesting that at least from my point of view, my eyeballs, it was interesting that the two best Dallas players were both Argentinians yeah. when uh, Messi's on the field. I, I think a big thing as well, saying about TV is you kind of, you sometimes don't get to see the off the ball work, and I think that's right. where Faku is really going to town, like trying to cut down Messi's runs and and cut down the options for yeah, yeah. To, into him. Well, I, uh, to be fair to Facundo, I don't think he. I'm not saying he was as bad as he was the first half of the year, but I don't think he was as good in this one as he has been over like the last month or so. 
I will say, getting to watch Busquets and Messi in person, uh, full field, off the ball, is just like, <laughs> it's just magically uh, artful. It's just amazing how easily, it, how easy it is for Lionel Messi to just kind of quietly sneak away from his mark. It's, it's like a magic trick how good he is at it. And where and, and just locating space and kind of floating and ghosting into spaces. It was one of my favorite parts of the entire night was just watching him and Busquets just put themselves in the right spots all the time. People are shocked how much he walks. Oh or, yeah. Or lightly jogs. You <laughs> right. know, it's just like he just kind of floats. <laughs> he does yeah. not he's not even jogging buzz. Yeah. He's literally the master of yeah. uh of energy efficiency. Well, that's one of the things I mentioned with Velasco is that the next phase for him. Uh, will be wisdom. And this is where Paxton's problem is too. Well, Paxton's got other problems, but one of Paxton's Boy, problems too he. is wisdom of the game. You cannot go all out the whole game. Not not and go 90. You have to be able to manage your, your game, especially if you're in midfield. You know, if you're, maybe if you're a striker and you're all out, is standing there. But, you know, Messi's a great example of that. He saves himself for the moments. And that's what Velasco needs to learn now. Is He needs to learn when not to chase and when not to be, you know, overexerting yourself just because with the ball at the other end of the field or something like that, you know. Uh, Jesus is getting better at that, so he goes longer in games now than he did two years ago, uh, and that's where Velasco needs to learn. Pa- Paxson's been had that problem forever, and and at his age now, you would think you start to see an adaptation of it, and you're not. Um, but that's what Velasco needs more wisdom. It'll come. Yeah, sorry, I was. Sorry, go ahead, Dan. Oh, sorry. I think in comparison with Ferreira, uh, Ferreira is definitely a more physical player than Velasco or, or Paxton. Like, uh, you know, same with Ariola. Ariola comes on and he's he's trying to go full tilt, but that that's kind of his that's his profile. Velasco certainly isn't that. He's he's definitely that more aged Messi style, where it's like you want him to just identify the space, watch the game, and then pop up where where nobody expects him. It's um it's interesting, Buzz, because uh, one of the real highlights of the game was watching Bernie Camungo continue to flourish in this role for this club in a position, frankly, they really needed somebody to actually produce, and taking his goal very sweetly. And before, because I'm a I'm about to really get into Jesus Ferreira here in a few minutes, I do want to at least start off by giving him credit for passing the ball to Bernie when I was absolutely convinced he was going to be very selfish and take the shot himself and probably. Oh blow it uh and bernie just doing all sorts of good magic to finish off that goal and tie and uh and uh, i guess it was take the lead at that point two one i mean that goal is ridiculous that cutback is absolutely sick and then the patience as the defender goes down the patience to wait and wait and wait and believe me in real time that takes an, an eternity to wait for those guys to both commit and then shoot that is a phenomenal phenomenal goal uh he has a real knack for timing and a real knack for getting his runs right. You can compare, compare his runs to O'Brien's runs, and it's such a difference. It really is. You know, the guy's basically got himself locked in as a starter now. Um, it'll be interesting to see who comes out at, at the other position if, if Velasco stays in midfield. Really, it's Ariola, O'Brien, and Ansa now trying to figure out who the other person's going to be the way Bernie's playing. Um, and if he continues to improve at this rate, it's going to be hard to get him out of the lineup, to be honest. Mm. It was a great performance, and it really bothered me that he decided to sub him out so early in the game. I thought that was, uh, unless there's another reason why he did it, 
subbing. I, look, you could take you could have taken uh, Obreon off in the second minute, and I would have, wouldn't have cared. <laughs> but taking Kamungo off when he did, I thought was way too early and unnecessary. And because uh, Ariola, his replacement, was so pitifully bad. Um, I just thought that was a real part of the reason why they ended up giving up those goals. Well, um, I think I'm sure the idea was to uh, have fresh wingers and continue to pin them back. Um, you know, Miami was dominating possession the whole game, as we told everybody they would be. You know, and Dallas's best ability is going to come in transition. Uh, but you can't. This is what we've always said about Dallas: is when they go into the defensive shell that they want to do late in games and that they did in this one too, you have to still be on the front foot and progressive. And if you have fresh wings, you can do that. You can push forward. You know, they were, they were getting a lot of the runs were becoming longer and longer and longer for those guys as the team sat back. And so I understood it. I understood the idea that you were going to put in some guys who would start getting at the defense again and making them sit back again and relieve that pressure on your defense again. Because you don't really have a center back you can bring in, and you don't have a six you can bring in. So the only way you were going to try and get them some time and some rest was to get out and keep the ball out and play out and, and, and give them an opportunity to recover. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was funny. I the, the couple sitting next to me that had not been to the games and didn't really know Dallas very well, yeah, I, when the sub was made, they were like, why are they taking the kid off? And I said, well, you know, ironically, technically, at least on paper, this is the better pairing. This is the probably his preferred starting wingers um, if you just go on it by paper. A, a, a national team player and the guy they just brought in from Europe – should be better, but neither one of them were better. <laughs> and it yeah. actually made the team worse, unfortunately. Yeah, I had a bad game for sure. That was not his best sub-performance. No. All right. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to get into this first. Um, let's talk about Jesus. Uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm officially on, I'm officially filing my, I'm very concerned about Jesus Ferreira papers, uh, Buzz. Yeah. And, I, and it's not because, I mean, look, he, he completely blew the chance, and he does that on occasion, um, and but that's not the reason. that That is a problem, but that's not the thing I'm concerned about. We have talked about on this pod, in watching this team and watching him on television, his growing frustration with his teammates has been pretty obvious on TV in his body language and his kind of reactions to individual moments in the game. Yeah, yeah. Boy, in person, it is a whole different drama show with that guy. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it was just this particular game, but watching him over the course of 90 minutes throw his arms around, stomp, yell at teammates, point, and all of those things, only to then proceed to misplay passes, misplay touches, lose the ball, and then completely choke on that opportunity – was really, really disappointing. And the thing, Buzz, I don't think you got to see on TV, and Dan, I hope you saw in person, just like everybody else that was in the stadium got to, is that when Jesus misses that opportunity, which would have absolutely sewn the game up, the ball, Miami essentially just clears the ball back upfield, and Dallas immediately retains and regains possession of the ball and is on in again on another counterattack. But when you look up, Jesus is not even jogging. He is walking yeah. back, pouting with his head down and ruins the counterattack. Yeah, I saw it. He walked out. 
And yeah, if he had been running and putting any effort into it, he could have gotten back in and would have had a very, very obvious second bite at the cherry. And that was really disappointing. Yeah, nothing will get your teammates mad at you than that. You know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna yell at your teammates, you got to be flawless because they're gonna be like, you know, stop yelling at us if you're not gonna take care of your business either. Uh, there's been. You remember the beginning of the season? Uh, Jesus talked. I think it was the beginning of this season. He talked a lot about. He even mentioned going to see. Like I don't remember what, what the term he was. You know, a therapist, sports or psychologist, sports, sports psychologist. Thank you, Dan. To talk about staying in the moment. You know, and I think that's what the kind of things he was talking about. You know, because he gets frustrated with people, and he's and he gestures at them. And he and Allen have had some disconnects from time to time. You know, for two years now, but they moved past it pretty quickly. And I've said to some people that, you know, like guys that are hyper competitive, like these guys are, they can all get along really, really well in the locker room and off the field and stuff. And still in the moment, they're going to be very angry and upset that it didn't, you didn't play the way they, they thought it should be played. I have a, you, oh, sorry. It's okay. I, what I was going to say was that you, you don't want to get to the point where your teammates stop looking for you is the thing. If, if it goes to the point where they stop passing to each other or they're overlooking each other, um, you know, I can remember an example in the past where Paxson clearly chose not to pass to somebody, you know, not to single him out. It's, it's the one I can remember vividly. You know, those kinds of, that's when it starts to affect things. It starts to affect the play. Just gesticulating after the play is fine. That that level of competitiveness happens. And then you're right. I saw it happen that he walked out. Well, that's when you get in trouble. That's when your coach is going to be on you. And that that's when it becomes problematic. So, um, it is something to keep an eye on a little bit. I'm not too worried about it. Jesus, for me, the bigger issue is the last few games or so, you're right, he's kind of, um, I don't know if he's overthinking it, and maybe in this game he was worried about the high profileness of the game. Um, he seems to be hesitating or something, or, or maybe maybe taking, uh, too, overthinking it in the moment. He, he's not reacting on pure instinct quite as much as I like to see. I think he's at his very best when he's on one or two touches and, mm-hmm. you know, or not even, not, so not one or two, excuse me, an instant shot or just one touch in a shot. That quick trigger is that when he's at his best, when he tries to outthink somebody or go at somebody or do a move, it's not nearly as good. So uh, I think you're right. There's a little bit of concern there. I'm hopefully, hopefully it rebounds when league play starts again, because right now it's not, it's not great right now. I think if, if there wasn't two weeks, well, two weeks from that game to the next game, I'd want him benched. He's been dire for the for the entire Idiot League's Cup. The Charlotte game, he had those two uh, two opportun two yeah two instances where he had a guy in an open position, refused to pass to him, took a shot into a defender's legs. Uh, I think he did it again against Nakaxa. The, the Nakaxa game, he was across in a corner away from an an absolute dog shit performance and then a lot of sulking around i mean that's the game that the team seemed to get really up for playing against a guy like messi and it's more of the, it's exactly that it's messy as he chances it's it's walk back when the team's trying to break away it's just it, that's your vice captain as well that's that's supposed to be a leader on the field oscar used to say that when you know guys would go away for a week for a camp u.s camp it, when they would come back, it would take them two weeks to get back on the same page as the team. I would imagine that when a guy leaves for a month and a half for a Gold Cup, the hangover from the national team might be even worse. 
Yeah. You know? So yeah. there's going to be a mental adjustment as he comes back because the play is different, the team's different, his place in it's different, the way people look at him is different, the, the load he's expected to carry is different. You know, there was a stretch where no one on the team is scoring any goals while he's gone, and so he probably comes back thinking, "Shit, I got to score every goal possible." And so he's pressing. You know, I, I'm not too worried about it yet. I, you know, give it a little time, I think. And then we'll talk about it. I, the only thing that I would say in addition to all this buzz is that as guys who have watched this club from the beginning, this all very much feels like scenes that we have seen before with other players who <laughs> may have the lifted skirt of other lands mm-hmm. distracting them. And 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 you I do and again, I'm making this up in my head, I'm reading it, I'm you know, I'm speculating, I'm totally admitting to all of this. But there's a part of me that watches Jesus and says, here's a guy that has been told and thinks and is now convinced himself that he should be someplace else and this just isn't good enough for him. Um and he's starting to play like that and it's affecting his game. And the problem is it becomes this it becomes a bigger issue because for a guy who thinks he should be going someplace else, now he's not playing well and the market for him drops off. So when he misses those opportunity or he bonks or makes bad decisions on the field, and then it becomes this like bad cyclical problem. And 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 it, it very much feels like the Mario Mario Diaz kind of that period kind of body language vibe yes. that we had with Mario Diaz and who's the other little um center fielder center midfielder we got after Diaz that just never act you just never thought he wanted to be here Pablo Arangis yeah Arangis it just that same kind of thing and I've never seen this out of Jesus before so seeing it in person oh, was man. really really alarming yeah I, I I totally know what you mean uh yeah I totally can buy that I, I obviously I really hope you're wrong I don't I don't have any reason to think that I can't really refute that, though, to be honest with you. I mean, you can see how, like, if you're in national team camp for a month and a half and dudes yeah. you're playing with are going, man, why aren't you in Europe? And guys you're playing against are like, man, you should be in Europe. You know, I'd be <laughs> like, man, I'm a, why am I not in Europe? You know, I'm not saying this would happen. I'm just saying you could totally believe it yeah. happened. You yeah. know, and, and, and maybe you're right. I, I, I really hope that's not the case because this club has a very short window with him to try and win something, you know, for as long as you can keep him, whether it's another season or just two seasons, you know, if, if he leaves, you're looking at a complete, uh, maybe not a complete rebuild, but pretty close because it is so hard to find a guy that can score at this rate and score at this kind of uh, almost like elevate himself above the game like he was before he went to the Gold Cup and now is not. Um, you know, it, it, it would sort of be a back to the drawing board because there's a lot of what they have that's invested in another season or so or, or two run. You know, and then you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, cap wise, financial wise, contract wise, talent wise, it'll all be bad if if you if you don't get some a good run here with him. Yeah. So uh, I don't. You know, I want to make sure everybody understands. I thought Dallas played really well overall, and I thought it was a bit of tough luck uh, and some stupid fouling outside the box that really ruined them. And I'm not sure how much longer Miami can count on Messi rescuing them week in and week out. But that's to be <laughs> that's right. seen. Bob will come to the rescue. Yeah, something like that will happen. <laughs> but I am going to continue to criticize or at least at least express concerns because my next two concerns were uh, in the form of Paul Ariola and Paxton Pomacall, two guys that physically look 
broken. Like there is something clearly physically wrong with both of those soccer players. They don't, they look like shells of themselves, Buzz. Yeah, like that's what I said about Ariola when he first came back, because he looks like a guy who didn't run for two months. You know, he looks like a guy who's in January, not in, you know, August. I, I would I would argue that he and Pax look like, like it's not even that they're not in shape or game form. There's something weird about the mechanics of their movement. Yeah. I know what you mean. I agree with that. I, I do you know. see it? But do you see yeah. it, Dan? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, probably more so with Pax than I've noticed it. Uh, just. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's very possible. There are times where guys have lingering multiple injuries in a, in a muscle group, like they've both had, and the athletic trainer tries to adjust their gait, tries to kind of take pressure off certain areas. Um, it was something that Stephen Keel um, years ago when he had a plantar fascia tear, I think it was. They actually delayed his return by an extra two months to adjust his gait. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if it's it's that, but yeah, there is definitely an, an awkwardness to it. But Paul to me looks like a guy who's, you know, a step half a step slower than he was two months ago. Yes, it is missing the burst. You know, it's not it's not there. Like he can't really drive off of whatever. You know, and maybe it's a guy who's coming back from a really bad muscle tear. Maybe it's just not there yet. You know, he he's he's approaching the age where he started to slow down, but he shouldn't be there yet. He should have a few more seasons yet before he does. So it's worrying, but, you know, as long as they're letting him play, it, I mean, obviously he's nowhere near going to be getting Bernie out of the lineup. I mean, no. There's no way in hell that's happening. You know, the, the only one that's actually challenging right now is Ansa until he had this crap game, you know, after I said he should start, and then he proceeded to have a crap one. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, in a way it's actually – it actually, it, it, this coach seems to buy a little bit into the, like, if you keep winning, you keep playing kind of thing. So maybe now that they finally lost the game and they have two weeks before they play again, we might see, you know, a little bit of shuffle up front perhaps and, and also get it more of a chance or not. Um, but, you know, Ariola looks nowhere near ready to actually challenge uh, for a spot. And neither does Siki to me either. No, like Paxton and Siki both look terrible in this yeah. game. Siki just looked like he was in over his head. Oh, um, yeah. uh, Ariola, I'm not worried about because frankly, I'm just, I think he's toast. I just think, I, I think he's done. They probably should trade him. Uh, Paxton is the one that really concerned, like I have a genuine concern for the kid because you know how much I love him. Um, and, and I just, the, seeing him play like that in person was, a, was, was alarming. Like it was like, I, I was like, I was, it, there was a point in time in the game where he got absolutely twisted into the ground and fell over. And I gasped because I've never seen Paxton look that fragile and completely out of his, uh, uh, you know, just out of his depth. It was really, really weird buzz. Yeah. Maybe that looked more so like that in person. I, you know, to me, just like a guy who hasn't played a lot lately. There was a, I mean, I think there's one there's one key difference with Ariola and Paxton right now. Ariola looks like a player who's just not really contributing. Paxton's actively yes playing detrimentally to the team. I think you know his he lost the ball around the edge of the box a couple of times. What he was trying out when he moved out wide. Uh, against Nakaksa, he came in immediately. Dallas ceded possession. 
went really deep, couldn't win it back. They had nothing in the midfield. I mean, at least, and maybe it's just positional because Ariel is a winger. A winger just needs to run. They're not really necessarily a key component to to the defensive side of the ball. But two games in a row, Paxton's come in and it's like, it's backwards. Yeah, he, he just feels like he's trying too hard. He's uh, pushing himself too much. He's overrunning situations, making bad passes, bad decisions, all the things that he's just never done before. And it's really alarming. Um, and and I don't know, man. I'm, I'm hoping he's physically okay and he's not trying to force himself to play through something. And it's only because he has this incredible injury history that I'm really, really worried about him. Well, part of it, too, is you mentioned that uh, Messi and Busquets raised the level of this game. The other thing is this is a knockout game. You know, it's a cup game. So the level is raised from that. The intensity is like a playoff game, you know. And those guys look like dudes coming off the bench who hadn't played in a while and weren't really ready for the intensity. Yeah. And that you could you could describe for all three of those guys, Ariola, Siki, and Paxson, for one reason or another, all, all felt like they were sort of not up for it on this given, the intensity of a playoff game on this given day. And that's why I mentioned, like, Earlier on, like, man, I bet Coach regretted that deadline that forced him to move Edwin. He really could have used Edwin late in that game. Not that Edwin's a savior, but Edwin has been playing a bunch and is in peak form and is ready for that kind of moment. Yeah, and I would also make the argument that if you go and look at the substitutions, uh, their ability to sub on Campania and uh, uh, Kramashi uh, were big, huge bonuses to the team. Uh, Robinson was a bonus to them, and really nobody Nico was able to sub on made the team any better. Well, they subbed on an 18-year-old, and you know Nico's not doing that. Yeah, well, that kid is a baller, by the way. No, no, I, there's yeah. no question about that. I'm just saying, like, you, we, there's a coach of this team right now that is not real Well, he's starting. He's on... starting Bernie. Bernie's 18. No, Bernie's not 18. Bernie's 21, 22. Oh, is he yeah. that old? Okay, yeah. I thought he was 18. But Bernie also worked his way into the rotation, you know, which is, makes him more similar to the guy Miami brought on. You know, this coach hasn't worked anyone 18. Nolan is the closest one, and he's fallen back to where they're playing more at center back, and they've went out and got a couple yeah. of sixes because Nolan's got close to ready. And Tree Scott is out for the year. So Bernie's the only one. He ain't 20. Yeah, he may not be 18, but he was playing high school football, yeah, high school soccer, UIL soccer, three years ago, so or four yeah. years ago. So maybe, maybe that's maybe that's worse than being just 18. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I now on a bright side, and you mentioned it earlier. I thought Tafari had a much better performance. Uh, I oh, thought yeah. he defended his uh, really well. Really stepped up. He had that fantastic interview with uh, Fox Four before the game or the day before the game that uh, kind of made the rounds. I thought was great. So that was a really good feel good. I thought uh, Sebastian Ingabiaga had a a fairly decent performance too. Buzz. Yeah, well, both center backs were great. Well, specifically with Tafari, his leadership to me is really jumping out. Things like that interview. Things like the way he put his arm around uh, Farfan and basically you could see it clear as day. His mouth said. Forget it. You know, we need you. Let's go focus, you know, things like that. Um, and, and in particular, like we've talked a lot about in the past when Martinez was in as that left center back, that gap between Martinez and Farfan that was often attacked directly by teams. They would even position guys to go after that space. Well, you had the goat Messi over there trying to go out that space and between Tafari and Farfan who played a little higher and tighter than normal, clearly, 
that space tightened up, and a lot of that was from Tafari, and he frequently closed down that space. And while Messi scored two goals on free kicks, he did not have that run through that gap that we might have seen him do over and over through his entire career. You know, he tried to get into that gap sometimes, and it got closed down really quickly and tightly. So I thought Tafari was a monster in this game. He hit that gap twice, and both times Tafari recovered, caught him up from behind, and made a tackle. Yeah, it was yeah. a great game. Yeah, the the first goal for Miami was just really some of the worst defending you could possibly imagine uh, from Dallas. But I thought Dallas got much better collectively and or- and organized better uh, over the course of the game. Um, and then pause, I thought, uh, was not really at. F- I don't, you know, I'm interested if anybody else has any reaction to Paz's performance or if he was at fault at any of those. I mean, once you could say is, but Messi put those things both like into the tight. I mean, like textbook right under like deflecting as it scrapes under the crossbar. I mean, I agree. Yes. I was in the game. You should have heard Twelman. You know, he's like, he's like, no keeper in the world is saving that. And I couldn't agree right. with that more. He did have one or two nice good moments, like. You know, but when Messi's doing messy things on free kicks, oh, dude, it was like, what? Well, come on, no one. We forgot that. to we forgot to mention the chip over pause that was only saved because Tafari was in the right spot at the right time and headed it clear. That was yeah, a great moment. Yeah, yeah, which came off a great save from pause to begin with. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and, and Dan think, mentioned it earlier. I, I was had the same thought as you did, Dan. Mid game, I was like, when did Giovanni Jesus learn how to play defense? Because he actually played defense in this game. I thought it was great. Yeah. I think, um, just saying about Paz, the one that he was, I mean, he, he potentially could have done more on was the, the first one, the one that was offside. But, I mean, shit, you've got, you're waiting for uh, Martinez to jump out the way, who's three yards offside, just in case, which, you know, he gets a deflection one way or the other. So he can't react until it's really too late for that anyway. Uh World-class finish from Farfan, great free kick, and what was, oh, the the crash of box from Kramashi, no one's saving that. I mean, the guy just absolutely hammered it. If you got in the way of that, you're probably going into the beer garden with the ball. Yeah. I feel like this is the third absolute banger of an old goal that FC Dallas has gotten. Yeah, I don't... Month. Are you talking about Farfan's goal? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking, man. What a finish that was. That, that was out there with Junka's own goal that was such a clinical... Yeah. <laughs> At least for Junka, that was going in anyway. He just deflected it to the opposite side. But, yeah. I mean, Chris... In like seeing it live, I was like, oh, no, that was really unlucky. There was, there was a big crowd in the middle. But then you see... Yeah, uh, the behind goal angle on the replay. It's like it was. It looked totally weird. purposeful. It's like he intended to do that. I know he didn't, and I'm not suggesting he did, but because that's exactly. But uh, Dan, we were right in line with that. And when it happened, we were like, "How did that go in the goal?" And it was only when they played the replay on the big screen that we all realized, "Oh no!" <laughs> I just. I mean, what are I you doing, know. Marco? I don't know if someone just peeled off him and he didn't seem to understand it or what. But that was No, I think he thought he was going to put it over the goal because he was so afraid somebody was behind him and was just going to tap it in or knock it in. And he just took the risk and it obviously didn't pay off. So yeah, that was bad. I'm going to put that with, uh, this, with uh, Paxton's penalty and how far he leant back while he took it. Oh, I haven't even got Put your body in a better yet. position. Yeah, he repeated that. that thing. Boy, did he ever. Holy, 
Holy guacamole. Uh, let's see. What else was I going to mention? Uh, so I'm sure both of you have seen the video making the rounds of Messi uh, very, very subtly repositioning that free kick a good yard, yard and a half inside to position it just perfectly for the shot that ended up being the magic free kick. I, I just think that's amazing. I, I love that video. I know I shouldn't, but I love that video. He's the goat for a reason, man. It's not just the touch. It's the mind. It's just like to pick up the ball and look around and set it back down. It looks like it's in the same space, but it's not. And then do that again another four times. Yeah. I mean, it's easily, Dan, he moves it easily a full yard inside. Am I wrong about that? No, it's fine. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's the same as advancing the wall. Yeah. If there's no magic spray and the referee and lines were not going to do anything about it, step forward. Yeah. If you can move yeah. the ball into a better position, you do it. Somebody asked me on Twitter why the keeper didn't cheat a little bit farther to that post, and I'm thinking, well, it's pick your poison, you dude. Yeah, because <laughs> if you do that, he's going to go to the other corner, and there's no way he should be able to hit that because giving him the far corner is way easier than him trying to pick out that thing over the wall in the way in the manner that he did. Because that, by the way, that's a better free kick than the one that he hit against. Um, Cruz Azul or whatever team it was at the opening of the tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the answer is because only the greatest player in the world is hitting that. And right. <laughs> you have to cover the odds. <laughs> like that, that, thing was, that thing was tight into the corner. It yeah. was. Like you could hang a grocery bag off, off the crossbar and it's going well, to Well, I will tell you as the lone person on this pod that was sitting out in the stands, it was in the time that it took – for the foul to be, I mean, from the second the foul was committed to the moment the ball was in the back of the net, everybody in the stands knew that was happening. Yeah. Everybody yeah. knew it was going, it was about to happen. And the and and the excitement level just grew exponentially every five seconds as he began to line up to take that kick. And it was just the greatest crescendo. Uh, of excitement when it finally happened. I mean, I even Dallas fans I thought were completely freaked out by the moment. I we were, you know, it's just it was hard not to be thrilled by it. Frankly, it, it was the funny one, right? Because he's, you know, he, they've given away the free kick a couple of moments before. They've put him in a position where you cannot score from this free kick left foot. You just can't unless you're outside of the foot swinging or something like that. So, you know, we get your own goal. And then sure enough, two seconds later, like, ah, crap. No, it's in a great position. <laughs> no, it's yeah. in his favorite spot. The, the second Ansa <laughs> fouled that guy, I was sitting with my wife and I was watching the game and I was like, oh, there's a goal. Yeah. I was like, you couldn't have, you couldn't design a better spot for a left-footed free kick taker than like mm. right outside on that angle. I was like, oh, my God, that's the worst foul ever. Well, it was, uh, as I said at the beginning of all this, I was really pleased to get the sense of disappointment from the vast majority of the crowd that Dallas didn't pull that off. It would have been great to uh, have been the first team to beat Messi in the United States, but it was not to be, Buzz. And frankly, probably for the better of everything, for the whole point for him being here in the first place, it probably is for the best that he progresses through this tournament as long as they can keep him playing. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to take a macro-level view of like what's going to be best for the league, there's no question that having Messi go all the way to the final of the league's got to be it. Well, if yeah. every if every road game uh, experience is like what I went through Sunday in Frisco for these other markets, everybody should get the opportunity to experience that. That was 
That yeah. was the best. Look, I was at the original Open Cup victory. I was at MLS Cup. I've been at, I feel like I've been at every major thing that's happened to this club in the almost 30 years. And, I, and I'm only saying that not to brag, but to, just to really to solidify my f- position that v- Sunday night was the greatest moment and event in this club's history. I feel like I just got dunked on. I don't mean it that way. I know. I, as I was saying it, I realized yeah. it sounded like a really awful brag. You could put it on my bragging montage. But no, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, right next to the Cristiano Ronaldo speech. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can put it. You can put it there. Uh, I will quickly. I will click quickly move to Kit Talk, and even Steve Davis yes. will want to stick around for this. First off, let me tell you how absolutely freaking thrilled I was that we got the Kit assignment and matchup that we got Sunday night. Full pink versus Dallas in their home red and navy. Outstanding. Yeah, light me talk. Yes. I was so convinced we were going to get white burn road jerseys against Miami and black or something like that. Yeah. And we didn't, we got color on display and it looked fantastic. Well, who, who, Dan, who was technically the home team? Was it Miami or Dallas? Uh, it was Dallas this time. It's Dallas because oh, okay. the knockout yeah. game. Yeah. Well, uh, then the Coxa game, uh, Dallas was the away team. Okay. Yeah. Cause uh, I don't know how much leeway they're giving the clubs to pick, but you know, like that would have been the only way that would have happened. Would have, would have, because Dallas is probably almost certainly going to pick their red at home, and then you're going to get the light away. You know, the only way it would have happened the other way around is if Miami would have been home technically and would have picked black for some reason, then you would have gotten black versus white. That would have been bad. But sorry, I'm in Mazatlan. I completely forgot that game even happened. That was the game Dallas was the away team for. Yeah. So the other observation was the comedy of the number of knockoff jersey peddlers <laughs> that had that had invaded Frisco, Texas, Buzz. The number of dudes and women and children, frankly, entire families running around with boxes and boxes of messy jerseys in yeah. both both the pink and the black, by the way. The black one actually is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um and selling them from anywhere from $25 to $75, literally outside the gates of the stadium, Buzz. Not even like trying to be, you know, under the under the cover and shady out in the parking lot. Like literally as you walked out of the stadium on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. standing there right outside the stadium selling knockoff jerseys. Man, if it was $75, it better be some a fantastic knockoff for $75. I heard one guy say $75. Most of them, most of the pricing was $45 was the most common price that I was told. Yeah. And yeah. they looked... And, and then you got to be honest, they actually looked really high quality too. I didn't touch any of them, but they looked high quality. I, you know, I can only imagine the number of messy pink jerseys that Adidas is selling. It's got to be just through the roof. Well, Fanatics day. actually didn't. Uh, Fanatics didn't fully stock it, so they ran out and their order. I think they're on a backlog until October, which wow. makes it really funny because the league's official store cannot sell it, but you can go into Soccer Ninety, our good friends, and pick one up. Can you? Yeah, I mean, I know you couldn't. Yeah, I was. I was assuming they were selling them on Adidas's website too. Crazy. Uh, let's see. All right, so I've gotten through all the things that I wanted to talk about on my list of stuff, my personal run sheet. Um, Is that also in red crown? No, it's in black sharpie. 
Oh. In fading black sharpie, <laughs> nearly yeah. dried out Faded black sharpie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we probably should mention uh, the very dis- the very depressing video out of the galaxy that popped up yesterday of Edwin and Mikey Barrios, who now both are galaxy players, which is so curious. Um, and and uh, when Buzz, do you think we'll see not one but two? Dallas's new additions, the Canadian midfielder, fielder, Liam Frazier, and the Spanish holding mid, Asia Iaramendi? Yeah, that's that guy. Sorry. Uh, Ilanaria uh, Mendy. Is that close? I'm going to struggle with that one. Worcestershire uh, sauce. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Banana hammock. Uh, the Spanish guy, <laughs> the holy Iliara. Man. How about that? Iliara is here Illy. already. Let's call him Illy. Illy, Iliara is here already. Uh, apparently, uh, he is? but uh, yeah, that's what I saw on an interview today. Oh, he was um, waiting for, he was still waiting for his visa. The other oh, may, maybe the interview was a week old then, and he's already gone to get the visa. Because at one point he was apparently here. Apparently. Um, I'm out of town though, so take that with a grain of salt. I'm reading somebody else's interview. Uh, yeah, you're in the woods, Buzz. I know, I was literally in the woods. Um, but it's just depending the visa. So you know how these things go. It's usually one to two weeks. So maybe he could be available for um, not the Philly game, but the game after that, which is Austin. Maybe again, are you going to walk in and play? It depends on how much he got to do. Like when he, if he came into town and he legitimately was in tramp camp, in camp, you know, training or not, um, I, given that he has to leave the country basically to get the visa for like a week or two, you know, I, I seriously doubt that he would walk in and play against Austin. So at that point, you know, you're looking at at best probably maybe the St. Louis game on the thirtieth. You know, I it, this coach is going to be interesting. It's going to, it'll be interesting to see whether they think that player is one for this year or one for maybe like more for next year. And depend on how fast they try and work him in. But isn't you know? he on a deal where he's like on, like the deal is set up to just kind of sample him this year. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a one year with an option for next year, but the question will be answered mostly in training. You know, if it looks like he's le- legit, you know, because in order to put him in, you either have to yank Facundo completely or you have to switch to a double pivot again. Um, and for the most part, it seems like the pivot they prefer is a 6-8 combo, you know, sort of like we had in this last game, except not really. Um, you know, can this guy be enough of an eight that you can play him with Facundo? These are the kind of questions you're going to have to answer in training, you know. And then if you if that's true, is it those two guys in Allen? Well, then what do you do with Leggett? That's another million-dollar player not playing, yeah. right? So is it... Okay, so now is he replacing Facundo completely? Okay, is he dialed into the way the team plays? How good is he? Is he that much better than Facundo that like you're ready to just put him in there? Given that, as you said, you thought Facundo was the player of the game. You know what I mean? So it's like these are not easy decisions to make as a coach. You know who of your you're going to sit a million dollar player, or you're going to sit. You know maybe you're going to put Velasco back at wing. And then you'll have Velasco and Bernie, perhaps. And then Lejet's in the midfield with those two guys. Maybe that's the way they go. These are not simple choices. Um, and, you know, as they have pointed out, or somebody pointed out, you know, he, he was a, he's not a free. He hasn't played since 
when did the damn season end? Uh, April, June, yeah. whatever it was, right? So he's two months out of playing. So how quickly is a guy who's in his 30s going to be fit? It's not going to be fast. You know what I mean? I know that they're reviewing him in terms of like, do we keep him from next year? I, I think they've been after him for a fair bit of time. This comes back to this idea of this wanting a tidy, clean player in the sixth position. Uh, I'm sure the long run goal is like, can this guy replace Facundo after this season? Do we can we do we pick him up instead Wait, of picking up? Isn't Facundo? he older than Facundo? He is, but that doesn't mean he's not better. Yeah, fair. If he's cleaner, this guy's played the Champions League. Facundo was in Division Two in Argentina. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like this guy on paper should be a significantly better player, but. Messi's How 36. How old is Busquets? 34? Yeah, 33? Guy, those but, guys. But, you know, he still should be better than Facundo. But is he? That's what you're kicking the tires on. You're kicking the tires on, do you do you get rid of Facundo and keep this guy for next season? That's why they immediately turn around and go add another player, this kid, Liam Frazier, who's, you know, more likely to be coming out of us in shape because he's been playing with Canada. You know, he's a young guy who can, the minute he walks in the door, you can throw him right into the field if you need to, because he doesn't. He's going to be relatively fit. And he's relatively young, you know. Um, it does raise questions. The signing of this extra player, effectively, it, it means that you're not ready to put Nolan Norris back in there in the as a six in these situations. It means that you're not ready to bring up Carl Sante, who starts for Haiti in the Gold Cup and plays for North Texas. Why didn't you just bring that guy up? Why this other Canadian guy? You know, so it raises questions about Carl. Uh, you know, and for me, like the, the the knock on Carl is his touch is a little too untidy. The ball's a little too loose, and it's perfectly fine. He don he can dominate it at the North Texas level. But when you bring him out to MLS, as you just said, the game the game is elevating in this league again. So space is getting tighter. Even guys like Paxson are looking clumsy with the ball, right? So it's like you can't just bring up anybody anymore. You go out and get this Canadian kid who probably is in pretty good shape coming out of the Gold Cup. At least I think he was on the Gold Cup team. Yeah, so, he played all the games. Yeah, there you go. So that that's a guy that, like, right this minute, if I need a body, assuming he shows up before the next game against Philly, I can put him in. Whereas the guy coming from Spain has been laying around for two months. You hope he's been training, but whatever. Well, yeah, you don't you don't know. We don't know if he was training with a, a team. I mean, the, the thing with him is, is he's – with his – his resume, I mean, he was like, a regular starter on a team that qualified for the Champions League last season. Um, you know, he's played Champions League. He's a, He's been a Spanish national team member. He's done this and the other. He's been a $30 million guy for Real Madrid. He, you know, in theory, he should be a cut above in, like you say, in, in terms of how he keeps the ball than probably anyone to ever play in the FC Dallas midfield. But it's it's having the legs, like you say. Has he been training with the team? Has he just been training on his own? Because match yeah. fitness is a big deal. You know who that sounds like to me? Who's that? Ross Barkley signing for Luton. Yeah, no. Peter seen. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, look, th- this is a guy who my read on him, is, and uh, granted, I've not seen him that I can point to a case where I've actually watched him play. But I can read his resume and know what it means. You know, I can I can say it pretty solidly that this is a guy that should be good based on his soccer brain. He should be a higher pedigree player. He should be a cleaner on the ball possession style, passer distributor controller of the middle of the field, spreading the ball around high level of interceptions, 
recoveries, controlling the game, right? Think right. Ja Paolo with Seattle, that kind of player, right? You think? Well, well, and this is the reason why it's the Peter Lucene comparison is, I think, is apt because you could say the exact same thing about Lucene when he got here, and I think with this guy, it's going to be the same thing. Is just where is he in his physical yeah, journey? Exactly. Is he, you know, is he, is he still up for it physically, not mentally? He knows where to go, what to do, how to do it. Just will his body continue to let him do it, especially yeah. in the elements of the United States? And, and that's why you do the half season deal with the option for the next year. That's what you're kicking the tires on. Bring him into the Texas heat over the back end of this season. See if he still has it physically. Mentally, he should be an upgrade. Physically, does he have enough to be effective in this league? That's what yeah. you're judging with the idea that you're going to keep him for next year. And the kid, the Canadian kid, is a stopgap. He also is on a deal that could it's for one year with options for two seasons. So if it turns out you like the Canadian kid, you can keep him. But really, he's a guy that you should be able to walk in physically and play but you know doesn't have the same pedigree. He's just a he's insurance, if you will. You know, and was playing in some team in Denmark that obviously didn't care enough about him to want to keep him that you're able to pry him loose. So uh, th those are the different scenarios of those two players, even though they play the same position. And it all has to do with Ed Edwin deemed not up to what this coach wants him to do, so they traded him. Facundo's deal's running out. Clearly this other guy should be better. Which one do you keep or neither one or whatever? You're just giving yourself some bodies. I said three months ago, I thought they would go into next year with zero sixes left on this team, not counting Norris. You know, that Facundo and Evan will both be gone. Well, they just grabbed two more guys, right? Give themselves a head start on next season, you know, or or, or fill out the back end of this year if it turns out the guys can play. Yeah. Um, the last things on your notes is uh, North Texas signed a kid with a cool name, Thabo Nare. <laughs> yeah, he, he sounds from, like a Star Trek character. He does, but he's actually from North Carolina. He's been playing semi-pro in Spain or something. I don't know where they found him. I like he's a left back apparently, um, which he was going to come in and challenge um, uh, Tyshawn Rose, but and then Tyshawn Rose a week ago got got a season-ending injury. So it's a really good thing they can sign this guy because they're going to need a body perhaps. So. Um, I've not seen him. I just, I only the reason I knew about him is because he was walked by in training the other day wearing a jersey number. So I was like, well, who the hell is that? And they were like, oh, that's the guy that announced later this week. So um, nothing remarkable, I think, other than to say that, you know, just to keep up with North Texas in the sense that they lost a guy for the season and here's a guy that was supposed to just push him and now it's going to be his replacement, basically. Uh, and I'm going to correct myself. Thabo Nore sounds more like a Star Wars character name, not a Star Trek character name. Yeah, tomato potato. And uh, you have a note in your run sheet written and circled in red buzz. Texas United ha are into the uh, final 24 of the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, this is actually not the final 24. Uh, final, they're in the 2024 Open Cup. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're a USL 2 team that here in Dallas. Of the what I would call Division 4 teams in Dallas, they're the best one this year. They, they finished with like the third best record in USL 2. They didn't go super deep in the playoffs, but they have some really nice players that are homegrown eligible for Dallas. And, I, and you'll hear me talk about some of them this fall in college because they have three or four guys, I think, that could that have the potential to maybe be homegrowns for this team in the future that play for that team. Hmm. So uh, they're going to be Open Cup next year. And, and I put it on there, actually, because Dan was talking about the, the local teams qualifying for the Open Cup. So I don't know if you have anything more to, other than that, Dan, to add to about them getting in. No, today was supposed to be the day that U.S. Soccer announced those. Uh, they have a deadline of by, I think it's September 17th, maybe. Uh, 
as far as I can see, Texas United is the first open qualifier to actually announce their participation. There are teams that have qualified um, to, well, qualified for the qualifiers, I guess you would say. Uh, Tulsa Athletic, I believe, is in uh, from UPSL. Um, there's a, a couple others who've won like the National Amateur Cup, but um, in terms of USL League Two, the champion overall gets in, and then whatever spots they were allocated, they have a priority list, as you mentioned. Texas United uh, were had the third best record overall, so in the priority list they were number four. Uh, they've got in this year. They didn't in uh, in they didn't last year when they had an equally uh, impressive record. But um, yeah, it would be interesting to see who else qualifies. It's always uh, it's always fun to see when the the first round pairings are announced and who's from DFW or or Texas in general. By the way, uh, real quickly on Tulsa Athletic, they have Rio Ramirez, who's a kid that came out of um, Fort Worth and played for the Vaqueros. Literally, Tobias Lopez discovered that kid uh, at an open trial. <laughs> Tilo! Yeah, Tilo. And then more specifically, they have Roman Torres. Now, this is not the Roman Torres that everyone just thought of. This is the Roman Torres who played for FC Dallas Youth and scored like five straight hat tricks in the Dallas Cup a couple years ago. Oh, and yeah. He went over and played like sixth division Germany. Some crap like some just crazy ass fun stuff like that. He's back in the States. He plays for Tulsa Athletic, Roman okay. Torres. So he's a great hometown FC Dallas youth here, not academy youth. Is a good little ball player. If you get a chance to watch them, he's a really nice, tidy little player. Not an MLS level player, anything like that. Not an academy kid, but still a fun little player to watch and has a good local connection. All right, I'm also going to officially announce that the uh, Barachos over 50 9v9 Sunday Beer League team is not uh, <laughs> not eligible for the U.S. Barachos Open Cup. Barachos not, not no. going to make the... No, we're run. not going to put a team in this year. No, we, we've decided to let the kids <laughs> make a run at it. All right, we've eclipsed more than an hour buzz. We've run through the run sheet. Uh, we've talked about all the great times that Sunday night was and wasn't, all the reasons I I have one more question for you, sir. You did watch the uh, TV broadcast, am I correct? Of the inter game? Yes, of the end. Yes, yes. Uh, And Taylor Twellman was doing the play by play, correct? He was on color, but yeah. Color, that's what I mean. Sorry, he was uh, the analyst of the game. He was. My question to you, Buzz, is how much of your insight that you Mm. supplied him did he (laughs) use during the broadcast? How did you know about that? It's not a secret in MLS circles that Taylor Twellman <laughs> will call and reach out to uh, local experts to help gain insight for his uh, yeah. conversations and narr- narratives during his broadcast, which is not a criticism by any means, but I did. I, I'm, I was 100% sure that Taylor reached out Ooh. to you and wanted to pick your brain, and I yeah. wondered how much of your brain picking he used during the broadcast. He usually does, actually. Uh, he, this time he tried to reach me when I was in the Tetons, so, and I was like, dude, I'm camping in the Tetons. And, and to, no, I was in the Sawtooth Mountains, sorry. And I was going to the Tetons. So I'm like, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere. Tomorrow, if I have any signal at all, I'll try and reach out to you. And so basically he just, on tw- not on Twitter, on via text message, he asked me, you know, like some really basic, simple questions about FC Dallas. And I tried to real quickly give him, you know, some pros and cons and stuff about things. But I don't think anything I told him was particularly identifiable as something I gave him because it was such a quick conversation because I was, you know, driving in the middle of nowhere that it wasn't really in depth enough that when he said something, I could go, oh, I gave him that. It wasn't 
you know, it, it, nothing I gave him would have been something that you or Steve Davis or a million other people that he could have talked to would have also, or just watch, listen to our podcast or, or oh. watch Asiel's play. So I'm sure he reached out to Steve too. No doubt. Oh, about I can't. It. I mean, that's the first thing I would have told him would be just ask Steve Davis. Dude, he'll be there. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, but I've, I've traded conversations with him from time to time. And, and, uh, there have been occasions where I've given him stuff that specifically has hit the air and he's not mentioned my name, but that's fine. You know, I, I look at it as if it helps FC Dallas broadcast and reaching out to, cause we watch those broadcasts, dude, and people get stuff wrong about FC Dallas all the time. Yeah. Uh, those national broadcasters. And if I can help them not do that, even though they should be paying me for that, I, I'm, I'm happy to help Taylor not get things wrong. Like I'll, like this game specifically, I was watching, uh, they were talking about Bernie and they were, they were doing all the Tanzania stuff and what a great story. And the play by play guy at the end says, and now he's taken the starting job and made it. I'm like, no dude, he didn't take the starting job. People got hurt and he had to start. <laughs> and then he did well. Uh, now I know that's a little thing, but those two things are very different. Yes. You're right? right. So yeah. like that's a nitpick maybe, but like in the world I work in, that's very different things. I wonder if what he meant was he's taken the opportunity and grabbed it. Uh, he he may have meant that, but that's definitely that's not, not what he said. said. He definitely right. said he took the starting job, like the, implying that he took it away from Ariola, and we right. all know that's not true. No, you know, <laughs> Ariola's been they were, laying they were, on his sofa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had all this stuff about you know played in high school, couldn't afford club soccer, no academy, found him in a tryout, all that. It's such you know, a good story. It's, it, I mean, listen, I had somebody text me the other day about, like, I hope someone's making a movie out of his life. Hey, Amen, dude. That would be a great movie, sport movie, like a, this kid's story, you know. Uh, not that they would get the soccer part worth a damn, but it would be a great hey, story. You know? Hey, Dan, if they made a Bernie Camungo movie, who should play Buzz Carrick in that movie? <laughs> I am not in that movie, dude. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the intrepid reporter in the background, Buzz. Well, I, I actually know what the answer is. Well, I don't want to know what you think the answer is. I want I want the good pod listener to uh, let us know what they think who should play Buzz Carrick in the Bernie Camungo uh, biopic pick. I was going to say, is there was a, a cool story with Bernie that came out of that uh, game. Uh, his brother, Imani, uh, was what came with him uh, to I watch the game. This. That's the one who'd paid the $100 tryout fee and convinced him to go and... Uh, Afterward, the game, Bernie was talking to media and he was, uh, let me try and think what he said. Uh, he was saying, you know, it meant so much to him to be able to, that was the first time his brother got to see him score and it just happened to be against Messi. You know, I think that's cool. Oh, that was a, cool. Yeah, I, right? Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah, the fact that it was the first, yeah, all of that story is amazing and it should be a movie, no doubt about it. Okay, well, I think we've done it all. We've uh, talked about the good times and the bad, and we don't have a game next week. The team doesn't play again till when, Buzz? Oh, God. Uh, Is it Sunday the 20th? Next, a week from Sunday. Is it the 20th? Against Philly, yeah, the 20th. Yeah, yeah. and it's on the road, right? Uh, yes, at Philadelphia, yeah. Wait, yeah. Vey, that's going to yeah, be that's a, a rough. Oh, that will not be easy. Not well, they might, you know, they could still be involved in the League's Cup, so we'll find out, right? I mean, yeah, so how does that work? Would the game get postponed? Man, I don't know. Or would knows? they be it's MLS? Would they make them play them, yeah. you know, like on a weeknight, weekend kind of schedule, maybe? It's no. possible. Yeah, that would be like proper, 
you know, Wednesday, Saturday, Thursday, Sunday kind of schedule. I, I honestly feel like that's the kind of thing where the MLS will just decide that it would be good for the team, like they do with the Champions League. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know what, you're deep in the thing, we'll move this game, so maybe it might be a while. Especially they've done that for Miami already. Yeah. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com, your ultimate destination for FC Dallas, North Texas Soccer Club, and European gear. Man, make sure to check out all the new arrivals. The leagues are starting up just in the next few weeks. Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, they got everything you want. Third Degree listeners get 20% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Well, boys, uh, Buzz, I really wish you'd been able to be there Sunday night. You would have. It was a great night, man. It was a lot of fun. But thanks for letting me take your seat. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Uh, And Dan, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Maybe. Maybe. And I'm looking forward to the debut of Luton in the Premier League on Saturday. No, yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, at Brighton with uh, Ross Barkley in midfield. Hey. (laughs) Awesome. All right. And uh, FC Dallas Curious Fan, I hope you enjoyed it. For those who got to go to the game, I hope you enjoyed it. For those of you that did not get to go to the game and were priced out of it, specifically you guys in the supporters groups, uh, my heart goes out to you. That was a really crummy situation you guys got put into. Uh, and I hope we figure out a way to avoid that the next time. Uh, but I was thinking about you guys as I was uh, enjoying the game. So uh, we love and adore you. And we will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Two weeks off. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree. Third degree, never care. Third degree, never care.